Okay, so welcome to the HW Shift Podcast, Episode 8. This autumn, we're doing a special series where we're exploring the intersection between behavioral science and digital technology, specifically looking at some important learnings from behavioral science about how to optimize digital interventions aimed at behavior change. So it might be an app aiming to increase medication adherence. It might be an online platform supporting weight loss, a virtual reality simulation training on infusion procedures, or a mobile phone app looking to help people stop smoking. And as the third episode in our special series, we're joined by Dr. Adam Palenka, who joins us live from Toronto, Canada, and he's a behavioral scientist within the digital agency, Click Health. So welcome, Adam. Thank you. Happy to be here. So as I understand it, Click are a unique company in that they have deep origins in technology and like to push boundaries of digital innovation in healthcare. And in particular, have kind of helped clients build impressive interventions like virtual reality offering that allows you to fly through the body. You described it to me once before as kind of like the magic school bus. Could you tell me a little bit more about the work that you do at Click? Yeah, so first I'll start by, I guess, answering what Click is and then what I do. So Click Inc. is a technology, media, marketing, and research company. We're in the healthcare space. Our headquarters are in Toronto, that's where I'm from, but we also have offices in New York City and, and a few people kind of scattered around the United States. For the most part, the agency, Click, is a commercialization agency, and we offer marketing and operational and learning services, basically custom web applications, UX, web design, usability consulting, content and creative development, marketing campaigns, e-learning course, communications, that sort of thing. For the most part, our clients are pharmaceutical companies and any kind of like biotech companies. So in a nutshell, Click Inc., the whole kind of company, we build websites and marketing campaigns for pharma companies, biotech organizations. But I specifically work in the labs department. So that's the research and development side of things. I should also say that Click Inc. is about 1,000 people. So we're pretty large. And then the kind of the labs area is about 30 of us. So for the most part, the lab represents the in-house research and digital innovation center. Our main goal is to help life science organizations advance healthcare through emerging concepts and technology. So our main mission is to be ahead of the curve and solve healthcare problems, basically work on problems that haven't been solved before or people need help with. So we like to collaborate with, yes, our, our, our main clients, our pharma companies, but we also collaborate with hospitals and physicians and patients and rehabilitation institutes, academic institutes, you name it. Uh, we like to solve healthcare problems in any shape or form kind of in any way we can, really. So our team is comprised of a, a cross-functional group of individuals, technology experts, engineers, biomedical specialists, behavioral scientists, software developers, data scientists, kind of medical experts, uh, kind of a wide range of individuals. And that's the beauty of our multidisciplinary group is that we can all kind of see things from a multitude of different angles. So all of us have a unique perspective on solving these healthcare problems. And that cross-functionality really helps us um, for working on the projects and solving the questions that we like to ask ourselves. That's great. And you're a behavioral scientist. How does your work fit into the creation of these digital technology offerings? Yeah, so my main role is to bring the human factors knowledge uh, to the rest of the team. So anytime we're developing digital technology concepts or conducting research related to it, uh, my role is to understand how people think and behave. So it requires expertise in the fields of psychology, neuroscience, decision-making, economics, 
marketing, basically anything human behavior related. That's my main kind of logistics. That's what I bring to the table. Uh, so my main role uh, just logistically is to conduct design and analyze research using any necessary statistics or qualitative analysis, you name it. But primarily as a behavioral scientist, my main role is to ask the right questions first. So that's what I like to bring to the table. A lot of times, you know, things may work on paper. Uh, anytime you create a, a piece of digital technology, uh, it might seem feasible, but ultimately you need to start with the question, like who's your audience? You need to ask yourself the what, why, when, where, how, uh, everything to actually solving that. Uh, anything, especially tech technology related, anything that's a gadget means nothing if it can't be validated with human use, right? We're all humans, so the whole point of that gadget is to see what it actually does in reality. Uh, so my main mission is to kind of ask the right questions first. A lot of times you actually go to conferences or technology shows and you'll see a bunch of gadgets in tech that solve no fundamental need in any human's life. They're just kind of random shiny objects. So we don't like to start with the technology. We start with the question first. So a lot of times people start with the solution and then go backwards. But that's not the point. The point is to ask yourself, like, who's the audience first, right? Ask the right questions. I cannot stress that enough. So once you identify the problem, then you can figure out the best method of kind of researching and, and solving that. It's also really important for me as a behavioral scientist to work in a cross-functional team alongside the data scientists and the engineers and the medical specialists because they all know things that I don't know. And all of us are arguably very intelligent in our own respective fields, and we're all going to know something that the other person doesn't know. But when we all kind of bring it together, it's nice, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and, and a lot of times the behavioral scientist job is to be the glue of the project, to tie it all together. Ultimately, like I said, things may exist on paper or look really good on paper, but you need that behavioral scientist to really tie it all together in the real world. How does it actually affect humans' lives? That's ultimately the only thing that really matters. So my job is to kind of turn abstract ideas into tangible offerings that people can action upon. And with that, I'd like to, to point out that knowledge translation is also very important. Uh, so being a good scientist is one thing, but you need to be able to communicate any information to any audience uh, so that they can act upon what you just told them. Yeah, I think those are all themes that we can really relate to on a lot of levels, and particularly the points that you've made really echo what we've heard from some of our other guests on the technology series in that we spoke with a user experience expert, John Lovett Young, and he talked about the importance of not starting with the technology and what the technology can do, but starting with the user need and, like you say, asking the right questions, not what can we do with this technology, but who's going to use this and what problem is it going to solve for them? And then our discussion with Olga Persky talked a lot about the multidisciplinarity of using behavioral science and technology. And I really like the way that you described yourself as the kind of glue that helps to bring those disciplines together in that it's all then about the human at the center of that process. But yeah, that's also a, a challenge that we can relate to is communicating behavioral science to audiences in a way that they understand it, that we're not confusing them or obfuscating the issue by using a lot of lingo or explaining things in a complicated way. Totally. So thinking about the work that you do, are there particular types of technologies or types of intervention that need more support from behavioral science to be successful? 
Ultimately, I don't think there's anything that needs more or less support. I think they all need support. Uh, my answer to that very shortly is all of them. They all need support. Um, but just to expand on that, I was saying before, starting with your question, not the technology, it's probably better to think of technology as a byproduct of your question, right? What is the root of the problem? What are you actually trying to solve? The technology is simply an afterthought. It's, it's a byproduct. Uh, any type of methodology or tools you use uh, comes after the fact. They all need to start with the right question and finding the right audience. So when you start, when we start any new project or technology development, we like to evaluate kind of three main elements that we ask ourselves. And this includes desirability, feasibility, and viability. And what I actually mean by that is, um, so first you ask yourself, how desirable is this piece of technology in general to the general public? Is there a specific audience that would benefit the most from this thing that you're trying to make? What are the specific demographics or factors uh, that you need to consider when, when developing this? So that's the desirability phase, right? So it needs to pass that flag. Who is it desirable to? Second thing you ask is how feasible it is to develop this technology using the current tools and know-how that exist on the face of the planet today, right? So what do you actually need to successfully build and validate this thing in real life? And then lastly, we ask ourselves, how viable is this technology in the marketplace? Is there a commercialization opportunity that exists to implement its practical use in society? Uh, can you implement it in the rest of healthcare, in hospitals, you name it. So any research project that comes to us must pass these three phases or flags, if you will, in order for us to consider working on it. At the beginning of the ideation phase, there's no wrong answers, right? Creativity is, is Boundless. I mean, any anything can come in. But ultimately, when you start working on something, you really got to ask yourself about those three things. Sometimes ideas come in and they just pass the one or two phases, but not all of them. So they'd be cut from the project list. Uh, so, for example, a time machine is very desirable. People would love to have one, but it's not very feasible to make. So we probably wouldn't start working on it. Right? That's a good example. Ultimately, since behavioral sciences is such a popular topic in, in, in job role, especially over the past few years, I think it's more important than ever for true behavioral scientists to really uphold the definition in nature of what is behavioral science and distinguish it from other marketers or evangelists or people just who talk about behavioral science but don't actually really conduct it. Uh, a lot of times behavioral science is seen, is, is seen as like a, a gimmick or a parlor trick. Um, but it's an actual science, and it upholds the scientific method, or that's what it's supposed to do. Um, so in the context of creating technologies and interventions, uh, you really do need a true behavioral scientist. It seems obvious and trivial, but it's not. Right? So again, working in a cross-functional group, asking the right questions, making sure you pass those three phases, the desirability, feasibility, viability, you know, really starting from the root of your problem um, you know, is really helpful. And I guess a follow-up question on that. When you bring this behavioral science expertise and look at a potential offering through this desirability, feasibility, viability process, have there been times where, again, on paper or in a, in a marketer's dream, something looks very desirable or feasible or viable, and you as a behavioral scientist have had to be the person to say, actually, there's a lot of data that suggests that humans will not engage with this type of thing. Uh, yeah, so I'll answer that in, in a couple different ways. So a lot of times you'll see, uh, like I said, kind of shiny objects that look really, really cool. But 
maybe intuitively you know that okay it's probably not going to work or there's just no clinical validation behind it so ultimately like i said the 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 behavioral scientist role is to be a true scientist. So you're a behavioral scientist, you're not a behavioral artist, right? Yes, there's a bit of art and, and, and kind of creativity involved with the job role, but ultimately you need to ask yourself, is there research behind this? Or alternatively, can you conduct new research on this? So when we develop new technology or gadgets in the lab, um, arguably all of us aren't gonna say, yes, this is the greatest thing in the world. No, we're gonna validate it. And so a lot of times you, if you go to technology shows or conferences or award shows, you'll see these really cool shiny objects, but there's really no validity behind them. So yes, you need to ask yourself, you know, what is the research or can you conduct some type of feasible research around it to validate it? Everything needs an experiment. Everything needs some kind of study or examination around it to really, tease apart the factors. You need to see what fails and what doesn't fail. Intuitively, you might have an answer. And again, that should be based on prior science. But if there's no real immediate answer, then you need to conduct the research. The, nothing is obvious in science. Um, even the most obvious things you think are gonna work probably won't work or they work in a way that you didn't predict in the first place. So, and that's the whole point of science is to get this empirical evidence. Or they, or they don't work in the way that you expect or they yeah. don't work in that context or yeah. in combination yeah. with the other factors that are present for that audience. So thinking about the, the work that you're doing in all of these different aspects, what's kind of next for you? What are the things that you're excited about? Are there you know, maybe new technologies or new things that you can look to quantify that you are really excited about in the future? Totally. So yeah, our labs team has been doing uh, a lot of research recently on topics related to uh, digital therapeutics and digital biomarkers. So just as some background, let me explain what that is. So a traditional biomarker refers to an objective indicator of a physiological state or condition, and that can be measured to examine normal biological processes. So for example, cholesterol levels can be measured with a blood sample, and it could be a predictor of cardiovascular risk. So that's a traditional biomarker. A digital biomarker is a measure of physiology or behavior collected by technology. So it could be a smartphone or a wearable that can be used to monitor, describe, or predict health-related outcomes. So for example, digital bar biomarkers can leverage a smartphone's accelerometer to measure movement. You can measure typing speed as a proxy of cognitive performance, or you could use a smartphone's camera to measure your heart rate. So traditional biomarkers use physiological variables to measure physiological outcomes. Digital biomarkers use technology to measure physiological outcomes. So recently our, our, our team has been working a lot on digital biomarkers and, and kind of that realm of uh, in the field of science. And it's over the past only year or two, it's been a really hot topic. So we're working on a variety of different disease states and patient populations to measure relevant health outcomes of these patients. Sometimes it's just a simple cognitive test that can be filled out on, a, on an electronic tablet. Other times it uses complex machine learning algorithms in a precision medicine approach, uh, approach to detect uh, specific disease symptoms. So we're not really working on new technology per se, but we're using off-the-shelf technology in many cases, um, but applying it in creative and innovative ways to identify and develop new digital biomarkers. Um, so a lot of times it's not inventing new tools, it's just using current tools in a new creative fashion. 
That's fantastic. That sounds really exciting. I mean, I could see the potential applications of that both in a clinical context, but also as a contextual factor for, you know, smartphone apps to kind of more effectively deliver behavior change interventions based on the biometric inputs and not just trying lots of different interventions to see which ones are going to be rightly timed. So that's really exciting. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Like a lot of times, basically digital biomarkers, even though they're a proxy of a true traditional biomarker, very non-invasive, they're very easy to use. They're, they're, you know, very efficient to use for patients and people alike uh, in their everyday lives. So like I said before about the cholesterol example, to get your cholesterol levels, you have to you know, make an appointment to the lab, go to the lab, get a blood sample, wait a few weeks, wait for the lab to analyze, and then get your cholesterol levels back. It's, it's a very long, arduous process. Digital biomarkers can be used in replacement of that. Um, just in your everyday home, you can use your smartphone or wearables or other pieces of technology to measure longitudinal trends very efficiently. Great. Well, thank you so much, Adam, for coming on the podcast and for giving us your perspective. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. You're welcome. Thank you. 